Take your Bibles this morning. Please turn to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 this morning. Luke chapter 7. We're looking at the miracles of Jesus in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 7 this morning. We'll look at the healing of the centurion's servant. The healing of the centurion's servant. Are you folks hot? Is anybody hot in here? I am sweating terribly. All right. I'm going to take, I'm going to break the rules and take my jacket off today. Uh, so I'm no longer Baptist, I guess, but you can, you can die. I am really, I, that cough I had, you know, and I, Wednesday at Climax, and I couldn't talk without coughing, and that's why I wasn't here Wednesday night, and uh, the doctor gave me a, a steroid to deal with it, and it causes me to sweat. Man, it's warm in here. So uh, Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7. And uh, I appreciate your prayers. I'm trying to get rid of it. Sometimes I get one of those coughs and they just carry on for months and I'm trying to deal with it quickly. Luke chapter seven, I appreciate your prayers. This week is the national pastors meeting in Ottawa and brother Paul and I will be leaving in the morning. We'll be back on Wednesday and appreciate your prayers as we travel and look forward to some fellowship and some preaching. And I'm praying that it'll be a help to us and encouragement to us. And so pray for that and maybe we can be a help and an encouragement to somebody else. And that's what it's all about. Luke chapter 7, and begin reading with me in verse 1. Luke chapter 7, verse 1. Now when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servants. When they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, he hath built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldst enter under my roof." Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, turned him about, and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. And they that were sent returning to the house found the servant whole that had been sick. Let's pray. Father, we need your help today. We plead with you that you would speak to us through your word. May the Holy Spirit of God touch each heart and help us. Father, to the best of our ability, we have tried to worship you this morning. Father, I know it doesn't compare to what goes on on a daily basis in heaven. But Lord, I pray that you just accept our praise this morning. Father, help us, Lord, as we turn to your word now and that you would feed us. I need your help and I ask that you'd fill me with thy Holy Spirit. May the same Spirit of God help each one of us and speak to us. I surrender to you the best of my ability. And Father, we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. In Luke chapter 7, we find a peculiar man. The Bible speaks of this centurion. When it speaks of a centurion, you understand that this was a Roman. Centurions were Roman soldiers, and he had been placed in this particular city to perform a particular task, and that was his post, and that was his place, but something odd happened to this centurion. He developed a heart for the chosen people of God. The Bible says, for he loveth our nation. It's interesting that this 
Roman centurion was unlike so many other Romans who were, for lack of a better word, they were on a conquest. They were there to expand the Roman Empire. They were there to keep a people subdued so they would not rise up. You'll remember the complaints about Jesus that that he was a rabble-rouser and he was an insurrectionist and there were those that believed that he would rise up and overthrow. And the, the Jews, some of them were excited about that, but the Romans weren't so thrilled. But this centurion was different than any other Roman that we see in Scripture. The Bible says that he had a love for the nation of Israel, but the Bible also says that he had compassion on this servant. The Bible says in verse 2, and a certain centurion's servant who was dear unto him. It is very likely that this servant was also a Jew. Understand something this morning that most Roman soldiers were not allowed to marry. Only higher up officers that made it a career later on in their life, they were allowed to marry. But for the normal foot soldier, for the centurion, they weren't allowed to have families. Theirs was a life that was given just strictly to die for the Roman Empire. And the Roman Emperor understood that he did not want to be responsible for widows and children. And so it was forbidden to marry until they had served a certain amount of time and perhaps retired to a more safe post. So this servant that this Roman would have would no doubt be drawn from the Jewish people. If he had somebody to help with doing his laundry, it might be a Jewish lady that he would pay. If it was somebody to help cook some meals, it might be another Jewish person that he would bring in and help to pay. But this servant, and it, the Bible doesn't say in Matthew or Luke, if it's a boy or a girl, this little servant was sick. It's interesting, though, that the Bible does not refer to him as a boy or a girl. Jesus said, him. Isn't it funny that the centurion sent servants and they beseeched on behalf of this servant, but Jesus knew all along it was a little boy. Jesus knew the situation before they ever got to him as the centurion would come. I want to look at this miracle, if you would, this morning backwards. If you look at Luke chapter 7, and we're going to look, work backwards through the miracle to a conclusion this morning, but in verse 9 and 10, we see, first of all, just simply a powerful miracle. I'm going to outline a couple things quickly, and we're going to spend more time on the last two points that come at the beginning of the chapter, but I want to make sure we get these in, so we're going to go backwards this morning. In verse 9 and 10, we see, first of all, a powerful miracle. The Bible says, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned him about and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith no not in Israel and they that were sent returning to the house found the servant whole that had been sick as a part of this powerful miracle we see first of all a faith that marveled the savior the bible says that Jesus marveled at the man's faith in in verse 9 when he heard these things he marveled at him it's, it's surprising to me and it's amazing to me that that the faith of this man could cause Jesus to marvel. You would think Jesus has seen everything. Jesus already knew his heart. But sometimes what is going on in our heart is so very difficult to voice and to be outward about. But this man's faith was very outward and he put his neck on the line for this little boy and he came to Jesus and his faith marveled the Savior. We see secondly, it was a faith that moved the Savior. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 13 it says this, And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. There was action involved because of the faith that this man had. 
Boy, it is my prayer, and I hope it is your prayer, that whenever we go to God with something, that the result of that prayer is action. That God will do something, or God will direct something, or God will allow something to happen into our lives, but there's a, a definite movement and a definite action. And one of the most difficult things in this life is to be patient and wait upon the Lord, but so many times we are encouraged to do so. But isn't it wonderful when God does move? And God began to move in the life of this little boy. And before the servants even returned home, the boy was healed. It was a faith that marveled the Savior. It was a faith that moved the Savior. It was a faith that mended the servants. The Bible says in the very last verse, And, and they that were sent returning to the house from the, found the servant whole that had been sick. I've heard it argued, and I, I read in a commentary, and when I picked up the commentary, I didn't realize it was a liberal commentary trying to tear apart the very miracles of God, and it based more upon principles of truth and principles from the Bible, and it, it, its focus was, well, Jesus was a good teacher, and we can pattern our lives after him, but let's be careful in believing these miracles and this power of God, and as I was reading through, I, it became very apparent very quickly that the man that had written the commentary had no faith. For he said that it was likely that the little boy was a little bit sick and in the time that these servants traveled to Jesus and by the time they returned unto the house that the boy had just naturally gotten better. That it was just a coincidence. But I want you to look back in verse 3 with me and notice what the Bible says about this little boy. The Bible says in verse, uh, sorry, verse 2, and a certain centurion servant who was dear unto him was sick. And what are those next few words? And ready to die. This boy didn't have the sniffles. He didn't have a common cold. He didn't have a touch of food poisoning. No, no, the Bible says the boy was ready to die. In Matthew chapter 10, we read the parallel passage of the story, and the Bible says there that he was sick of the palsy. Just like the man last week, it is likely that he had had a stroke or something of that nature, and he had been paralyzed, partially paralyzed. That's what the word palsy means, paralyzed. This boy was very sick and nigh unto death. And so we see a great miracle, a powerful miracle, at the hands of the Savior. I want you to read with me back in verse 9 and 10. The Bible says, When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned him about and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have, found, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent returning to the house found the servant whole, that had been sick. Some have asked, why, why did you choose the book of Luke? And I don't think anybody's being critical. They're just curious why I chose the book of Luke. I chose the book of Luke to look at the miracles of Christ because Luke wasn't there for much of these miracles. It's, it's possible that he crossed paths with Jesus, that he had spent some time with Jesus, and that maybe he had seen some miracles firsthand, but for the most part, Luke did not travel with Jesus. I wanted that perspective that was inspired only by the Holy Spirit. In the book of Matthew, though, we do have one that traveled with Jesus. And Matthew records something else that the author chose to leave, or the Holy Spirit chose to leave out in the book of Luke. He said this, and Jesus said unto the centurion, go thy way. Now listen to these next few words. And thou, as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. As thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And that, that brings up some questions. What if God only worked in harmony with our faith? Can you imagine the 
the things we would miss out on if God was dependent upon my faith? If God only worked as I have believed? Well, a lot of times we pray for things and we don't, we don't really believe God's going to do much. We pray for Brother Shonar over there in Toronto and, and he's got terminal cancer and it's, Brother Paul said, a month to live. That was a week ago. He's down to about three weeks if the doctors are correct. And we, we pray for him and then we often think, oh, poor fellow, he's only got a few weeks. What if God's only acting in accordance with your faith? What if these servants came back and they found that little boy was still sick? Perhaps he'd got a little bit better, but it was still obvious that he was hanging on the edge of death and, and that soon he would pass from this world. And the centurion said to his servants, have you told Jesus, did you go to him? And they said, yes, we did, but we didn't really believe it would do anything. We went and asked because you told us to. We were obedient to your request, but we really didn't believe. And one of the servants said, well, you know what, though? He did say, as we have believed, so it be done unto you. Maybe if we just had a little more faith in Jesus. Maybe if we just trusted in the power of God. What if God works in harmony with our faith? What if he only works as far as your faith reaches? Now don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that God is bound by anything. I believe that God can do anything he wants to do. He is a sovereign God. But I do know that when we pray, we activate the power of God. We move the hand of God. And in this instance and in this case, the Bible says that they were rewarded as accordance to their faith. God bless them. Let me encourage you to take a spiritual inventory right now. What are you believing God for? Do you really believe that God can do it? Do you believe it's going to come to pass? We need to stop thinking sometimes that God can and start believing that God will. And understanding that his power is an untapped resource for the most part. And we must plead with him for a powerful miracle. Then we see secondly in the scripture in verses 6 through 8. We see first of all a powerful miracle. But we also see a perceptive master. The Bible says in verse 6. Then Jesus went with him. And when he was now, was now not far from the house. The centurion sent friends to him saying unto him. Lord trouble not thyself for I am not worthy that thou shouldst enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. But saying a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. We see a perceptive master. This centurion was a perceptive man. You understand what is happening here. He hears that Jesus, in verse 1, the Bible says he hears that Jesus is in the area. So he gathers some servants together and he says, I want you to make the trip. The Bible says that it was servants, plural, leaders of the Jews. It is likely that he sent more than one because there was a bit of a distance to travel. It wasn't safe to travel by yourself in those days very far. And so they sent them in a group. And the centurion's heart was, you go and ask Jesus and Jesus can do the miracle. He doesn't need to come here. I, I don't want to go see him. I'm not worthy to see him. I'm not worthy that he'd come here under my roof. I just want you to go and ask. And I believe that God will heal him. If you go and I've heard a lot of wonderful things about Jesus. I believe that God can heal him. But things turned out a little different than the centurion thought. And at some point, somebody maybe ran ahead. 
and got back to the centurion's home and he said, listen, Jesus isn't far from here now. And maybe the centurion asked him, well, was he passing by this way anyway? Did I misjudge where he was going? And they said, no, 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 he's coming, he's coming right here to this house. In just a few minutes, he's going to be here under your roof and maybe we ought to clean up a little bit. We've been gone for a few days. You made a mess of this place. Let's, let's fluff some stuff and let's get ready for the, for the Jesus is coming and this great miracle worker and let's, let's get him ready to come in and meet this little boy and he'll touch him and he'll heal him and he'll do some great things. And the master, though, was very perceptive, wasn't he? He said, I'm not worthy. I can't, I can't have Jesus come here. I don't deserve that. He was perceptive. He understood, first of all, how to approach Jesus. He understood how to approach Jesus. Look what it says in verse 60. It's verse 6. And when he was now not far from his house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy. How many of you can put yourself in that category right there? I am not worthy. Not that Jesus would just come and dine with us, that thou shouldst eat us under my house. Or enter under my roof. Wherefore neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but saying a word, and my servant shall be healed. There's a man that understood how to approach Jesus Christ with humility. And as we've looked at these miracles, this is the fifth one we've looked at in the last few weeks. I see a common theme arising. Everybody came humbly. You remember the leper that sought out Jesus and said, If thou canst, thou will. Or if thou will, thou canst. If it is your will, you can help me. He didn't beg. He didn't scream. It was unfair. He didn't cry out in agony and say, Jesus, do something. You remember, time after time, people came humbly to God. And the one, the Bible says, fell on his face before Jesus. The man sick of the palsy was laid down on a humble cot and laid out at the feet of Jesus. That's how we approach Christ. Humbly, hat in hand. Don't demand anything of God, but simply pray. Simply seek his face. This was a perceptive master. He understood the, the, uh, how to approach Jesus, but he also understood the authority of Jesus. Look at verse 8. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and, do my, uh, and, and to my servant do this, and he doeth. He understood all I have to do is say the word, and my servants jump. And Jesus, I understand you have the same authority over this disease. The man was perceptive. It's interesting how we sometimes have the idea that a faith healer has to slap me on the forehead or do something silly like that when Jesus has a simple authority to say, come out, be gone, be healed, thy sins be forgiven thee, peace be still. And the very word of God has all the authority that we need. We see thirdly this morning in verse four and five, and here's where we want to spend a little time we see, first of all, a powerful miracle. We see a perceptive master, but we see a pleading messenger. Look what it says in verse 4. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, and he 
built us a synagogue. The Bible says they besought him instantly. They, they searched him out and this messenger came to Jesus and he was pleading for something. And I want you to notice, first of all, it was a plea that was based on the man's worth. It wasn't based on the boy's need. Never went to Jesus and said, this little boy... It's just a child and he's hurting and he's sick and he's been faithful and he's been a real help to this Roman soldier. And though the Romans have oppressed us, this little boy and this man have had a wonderful relationship, they don't talk about the little boy. For it was he that would benefit the most from the miracle. No, he pumps up the master. And he says he is worthy. It was a plea that was based on his worth. The Bible says in verse 4, when they came, they besought him, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. It was a plea based on his worth, but it was also a plea based on his works. The Bible says in verse four, for 5, for he loveth our nation, he hath built us a synagogue. How many people come to God today with that same idea? Thinking we're worth something to God. But God, I... Why, why would I have cancer? I, I teach a Sunday school class. I work in a bus ministry. And, I, and you're, you're pleading with God based on your perceived worth. God, I, I've got children to raise and I'm trying to be a good mom. I'm trying to be a good dad. And I've got all these issues. And why is my life falling apart? I'm a good person. The Bible says there is none that doeth good. The Bible speaks about the rain, how it falls on the just and the unjust alike. He said, but I do good works. Look at all the things I've done for God, and God would allow this to happen to me. Isaiah reminds us that our righteousnesses are but filthy rags in the sight of God. Listen, we need to stop trying to earn God's favor and trust his grace. Now, I, I see something very graceful about Jesus in here. The Bible says they pled his worth and they pled his works. But the Bible says in verse 6, then Jesus went with them. Isn't that a graceful God? How many of you understand Jesus was not impressed by the man's worth? Wasn't impressed at all. He's a Roman soldier. Yes, he's been good to his people and he's been good to his servants and he's built a synagogue and he loves Israel and boy, that's a, that's a wonderful thing and Jesus might say, you know, I like this guy. This is a good fella. But Acts chapter 10 tells us that God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't care if you're rich or poor. He doesn't care if you're, if you're high and mighty and the king of something or just a lowly beggar. He extends his grace to all. Salvation is available to all, full and free. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a wonderful truth of scripture, but Jesus is so gracious. He wasn't impressed by the man's worth and he wasn't impressed by his works and yet he went with them anyway because he loves people and he shows his grace. Let me ask you, how do you plead with God? We often do that, you know, when we have a, a job. You ever, you ever gone to your boss and say, you know, I, I've been a good employee. If you pull out my record, you'll see that I haven't missed a day of work in 10 years. You see that I'm productive. If you have a job where you can measure productivity in some way, you can, 
You might say, well, you know, I turn out more than anybody else. I, I think it's, I deserve a raise or I deserve more holiday time or I deserve whatever. And we plead our case based on our worth and our works. But listen, that doesn't work with God for he's no respecter of persons. As a matter of fact, the Bible in the book of James forbids it that if we treat the man that comes in wearing gay apparel and we seat him in the uppermost seats in the church and, and we treat him with extra respect and disrespect other people, God says that is not Christ-like. God is not impressed with it. We cannot impress God with our worth or our works. We just go to with him with our needs. Now you say, well, does that mean I don't do any good works? No, no, no. Faith without works is dead. I want you to notice that the way that these Jewish people proved the worth of the man was by showing his works. He's good to us because he built a synagogue. We can prove it to you, Jesus. And the Bible says we need to prove our faith in Christ by doing our good works. The Bible says our works are our testimony. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So our works are important, but it's not based for our salvation or for the hand of God to move. God moves strictly because of grace and because he loves us. We see a pleading messenger, but I want you to see a pertinent message. Turn back to verse two and three. A pertinent message. And here's something I need you to take with you today. I believe that the God would have you take it with you. A certain centurion servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent on him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. I want you to notice, first of all, it was a message that was proclaimed. A message that was proclaimed. You see, what are the message? The message was Jesus. Notice what the Bible says in verse 3. And when he heard of Jesus. Do you know in order to hear something, it has to make a sound? Isn't that, isn't that right? How many of you are befuddled by that old riddle? If a tree falls in the woods and nobody's here to, there to hear it, did it really make a sound? I'm of the opinion it made a sound. Aren't you? Because squirrels have ears. So somebody was there to hear it. I, I don't know what you think about that. It doesn't matter. But here's what I know. In order for something to be heard, there has to be a sound made. And somehow this man had heard about Jesus. I, I'm of the opinion because the centurion loved this little boy that, that he had gone to doctors and he had sought out cures and he had tried his best to be a help to the boy. And now he was making him comfortable while these Jewish leaders came and said, hey, have you heard about Jesus? Jesus is a miracle worker. He just, matter of fact, just the other day, he a man full of leprosy. He's walked on water. He's calmed a storm. It just seems like there's no limit to his power. And so they gave him this pertinent message. But it was a message that had to be proclaimed. And then we see, secondly, it was a message that was prompt. It was timely. Verse 2 says the boy was ready to die. They couldn't have waited much longer. The message was important right now. Well, I get thinking about this and I think about how many lost and dying people out there don't know Jesus Christ. And they're waiting for us to proclaim the name of Jesus. They're waiting for us to tell them about Christ. And I'm going to tell you what, they're dying. And the need is now. I remember years ago, my uncle Lloyd was deaf. One of the funniest guys I ever knew. Just loved life. 
And uh, Uncle Lloyd died eventually, and my son was only seven or eight years old, I guess, maybe even younger, I don't know. And first thing he said when we said, oh, Uncle Lloyd passed away, he said, was he saved? Was he saved? I thought, boy, isn't it? Something that's the first thought when somebody dies. Why not before they die? Why not months before they die? I was thankful Brother Kirkwood, I don't know if he's going, he's going to the memorial service this afternoon, I guess. And he called me about three weeks ago and he says, my nephew's had he's a helicopter pilot and he landed up in Sudbury. And when he got off the helicopter, because he's a pilot, he says, something's not right. I, I'm piecing it together. Something's not right. I need to see a doctor before I fly back home. When he got to them, within a couple hours, they had his brain opened up and he was in surgery. They found, I still don't know what it was, if it was a tumor or an aneurysm or what it was, but something in his brain was causing him to be dizzy and he couldn't fly. And they must have thought it was an emergency because within a couple hours, and after that, he just passed away. A week or two went by and he never really woke up much. And finally, he passed away. But I was thankful that Brother Kirkwood called me and said, you know a church in Sudbury? There's no church that I know of in Sudbury. And I called Pastor Wadley up in North Bay. And I said, Brother Wadley, do you know of a church in Sudbury? He says, I don't really. But he says, I'm going there this week. And I can go visit the man. I can take him the gospel. Unfortunately, he never woke up. But that's the kind of thinking we need. We need it now. When they die, it's too late. It was a timely message. It was a prompt message. It was a message that was proclaimed. It was a message that was prompt. But it was a message that was passing. As, a, as I've just messaged, there's an expiry date on this message. What if those Jews burst into the room and said, Hey, did, uh, did you know that Jesus is nearby and the little boy had already died? Then it's too late. Romans 10 verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But the very next verse says, But how shall they hear unless somebody tell them? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they hear if somebody doesn't proclaim it? It was important that this message get there in time. It was a pertinent message. It was, must be proclaimed and it must be prompt because the message is passing and it's no good when they're gone and when they're died. And we get so concerned Years ago, I'll close with this. When I was in Bible college, a friend of mine worked for uh, Lawn Green Funeral Homes. And they had a, they had a fun, uh, cemetery right there, and it was a place where they would embalm and do all that, all that stuff. And his job was to go there at night after the last visitation was done around 9 o'clock, and he would just sit there for the night. He could do homework, whatever he wanted to do. But he'd sit there for the night and answer the phone. If somebody called that somebody had died, <coughs> it was his job to go and pick up the body and bring them back. And then he would also call a funeral director and they'd come and they'd start their work. And so it's very difficult to do that by yourself. And so there was times where he would call some of the students from his friends and say, listen, I gotta go on a run. Can I swing by and pick you up and you go with me? And they would pay us about $8 an hour <coughs> cash and for about three hours, <coughs> we'd go out and we'd pick up bodies. That's what we'd do. I only did it once or twice. And I remember one night we went to a, it was a veteran's hospital. And this man had fought in World War II. And he had passed away. He was six foot 11 and a half inches tall. I've never met anybody in person that tall before. Six foot, 11 and a half inches tall. 
And when we put the blanket over him, he was so tall, he was longer than the gurney. And we had to stretch, it was an elastic type thing, stretch it around, get it around his feet. The problem was, when we put him in the van, there was a little peg on the bottom of the thing and the wheels would pop up and the peg would go in a hole in the floor. When we picked it up and we put it in that peg to hold it so it wouldn't roll around, we couldn't close the doors, his feet stuck out. He was so tall. So I said, what are we gonna do? He goes, well, we're just gonna have to let him kind of, he says, we'll just roll it to the front. And he says, you hold on to it all the way back. Make sure it doesn't roll out that back door. So that's what we did. And he'd hit the, he'd, he'd warn me, I'm going to hit the brakes. And that thing would come forward and I have to try to hold him from going up too far. And we sat down in kind of a gully type thing and the, the platform came right between us. So here he come right up between us. To make it worse, there was a hole in the blanket and the man's nose went right through the hole. And every time he'd come up, I'd see that nose <laughs> push it back. And if he speed up, he said, I'm going to hit the gas now. It, hold it so it wouldn't roll out the back. Hit the doors. It was real quiet in that van about two in the morning. And I said to Mike, I said, Mike, when you drive back in the middle of the night like this and you've got somebody in here, do you ever think about their soul? He says, that's all I can think about. He said, man, it bothers me. He says, I don't know if that man an hour ago closed his eyes in death and ended up in heaven or hell. Boy, he says, that bothers me. He says, sometimes I get to find out. He says, there'll be a visitation at the funeral home and the family will come through and the preacher will come in or something and I'll find out if they knew the Lord, but a lot of times I don't know. It just burdens me. Does it burden you? There are a lot of people around you that need the message, but they need it on time. They can't afford for you to wait. They're like that little boy that's about to die and they need to hear about Jesus. Does it concern you? Does it burden your heart? Can I, can I say this? If it, if it is not a burden on your heart, would you spend some time in prayer and say, God, would you make this a burden on my heart? Would you help me to love people that you love? Would you help me get the gospel to people that you want to be saved? Would you bring them into my... Listen, when you pray and say, God, would you bring somebody in my path I can tell about Jesus? He'll do it. <laughs> he is not willing that any should perish. He'll do it. But you got to jump into action when he does. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. What have we learned from this miracle? We learned that once again, God has incredible power. We learned there's some good people out there, like the centurion who loves others. But I think we've learned that if they don't get the message in time, they don't hear about Jesus in time, it's not going to help them. Here's a little challenge for you quickly. We need to learn how to transfer burden. You say, what do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. As long as that person's never heard, it is your burden to carry. If they hear and reject Jesus by choice, then it becomes their burden. They'll stand before God and God won't point the finger at you. Well, I don't want that. I don't want God pointing the finger at them either. But at least it's not my burden to carry for eternity. You say, why, shall, why does the Bible say God shall wipe away all tears? 
because the scene right before that is Revelation chapter 20. And in Revelation chapter 20, the Bible says that the great and the dead of death and hell were called up and stood before God and whosoever was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast in the lake of fire. They were put into outer darkness. There was weeping and gnashing of teeth. And in the very next chapter, God wipes away all tears. He must have to wipe away our memories as well. I don't want that on me. Oh, that God would give us a burden for souls and a burden to tell others about Jesus. Let's stand as we come to our invitation time. If God has spoke to your heart, would you step out and come to this altar even now? Let's do more for Christ than we've ever done before by simply and faithfully sharing his word with others. Brother Baker's gonna sing, if God spoke to your heart, you step out and come even now. Maybe there's one here today say, I'm not saved. I need that message of salvation. I need to come to Jesus. Walk this aisle this morning, we'll help you. We'll take a man with a man, a lady with a lady, we'll show you what the Bible says about how you can know Jesus and have eternal life through him. Brother Baker, you sing.